0: and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas' Classical Education Graduate Program. With a dedicated faculty and staff drawing on extensive experience in the classical tradition, The Classical Education Graduate Program benefits from the strengths of the university's nationally recognized core curriculum, which embodies the UD's dedication to the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue as the proper and primary ends of education. The Classical Education Graduate Program combines the ethos of this core curriculum with a concentration on the theory and practice of classical education, bringing these to the working and aspiring classical teachers, school administrators, and home educators around the country. Earn a classical teaching certificate, a master of humanities degree, or a master of arts degree in classical education. With an extensive array of online courses, the program is designed to meet the schedules of busy classroom and homeschool teachers. In addition, for a limited time, the classical education program at the University of Dallas has scholarships available that can reduce the cost of the program by up to 90%. That's nine zero, 90%. Don't miss out on this opportunity today. Visit udallas.edu slash to start your application. Again, that is udallas.edu slash classical
2: ed. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 6, The Middle. Today's proverb comes from Hesiod, one of my favorites. The saying comes from works and days. I encountered this one for the first time maybe 10 years ago, and I've been entranced by it ever since. Take your fill when the cask is first opened, and when it is nearly spent, but midways be sparing, it is poor saving when you come to the lees. read it one more time. Take your fill when the cask is first opened and when it is nearly spent, but midways be sparing, it is poor saving when you come to the lees. First question, that presents itself upon hearing this is, why not be saving in the beginning, too? Why not be sparing all the way through? Why not stretch every cask of wine to the fullest? And why is it poor sparing when the cask is nearly spent? My initial suspicion, about why we don't save or spare from the very beginning, is that drinking deeply at the beginning is a reminder that there will be an end. And drinking deeply at the end is necessary that you not drink delusion on yourself. So the beginning and end of a thing when the cask is open and when it's nearly spent. The beginning and end of a thing are naturally holidays. Consider this for a moment. Holidays usually attend the beginning and ending of a thing. It's true when it comes to the church calendar. It's true when it comes to the civic calendar. There are always big holidays that uh, inaugurate a thing, and maybe somewhat less frequently, holidays which end a thing, although I would wager that the beginning and end of a thing are the two points at which holidays seem natural or seem expected. And this is because beginnings and endings are unusual. They're uncommon. Um, The beginning and end of a thing are, to some extent, divine. The greatest holidays tend to be beginning holidays, like Christmas, the holiday which inaugurates the life of Christ. Or Good Friday, which commemorates the end of Christ's life. Or Easter, which is the new beginning of our life. All the great holidays in the church calendar are beginnings and endings. And there are other holidays, of course, but um, the other holidays tend to be lesser affairs. Uh, Annunciation. Well, that's not a great example, because we could say that annunciation is the beginning of Christ's life. I would say the beginning of Christ's life might be the Annunciation, but it's celebrated at Christmas when we first see the light of Christ. The unborn Christ is a promised Christ, but we don't celebrate Christ's new life until we see him face to face. Maybe a better example would be the Transfiguration. Or Pentecost. These are not holidays that are thought of as beginnings and endings, although even these we might consider beginnings and endings of a sort. Um, Pentecost is uh, the beginning or the birth of the church. Uh, Ascension is the ending of the Apostles' time with Christ, at least face to face. So we'll go back to these questions that I asked a moment ago. Why take your fill in the beginning? As a reminder, the cask won't last forever. Why take your fill at the end? Solomon teaches that the end of a thing is better than its beginning in Ecclesiastes. Maybe we'll come back to that in a minute. So much of this quote is not actually about beginnings and endings, though. Most of this quote is about midways be sparing. Midways be sparing is the advice that hits us where we are, usually where we are. That our lives must usually be spent sparing. Beginnings and endings don't come around very often. So the majority of the emphasis of the quote is on this middle moment, but midways be sparing. Why be sparing in the middle? Well, because there's no occasion to take our fill in the middle. Because we don't take our fill at random we don't take our fill from the cask simply because we want to or because we feel like it at the moment. Taking our fill is a response to the beginning or the end, which is to say we don't determine holidays. We cannot create holidays. Holidays create us. We can't create traditions either. If you think of it as a tradition to drink deeply when the cask is opened and when it's nearly spent, these are not entirely determined by our own wants. We have to wait. We have to wait until the end of the thing comes around. We recognize that the end has come, but we can't create a false ending while being true the quotation which is to be sparing in the middle so we have to wait for the end we have to wait for the time to roll around when we drink deep holidays can't be created traditions can't be created we must wait for the end we must wait for the beginning and those are the divine things that we wait for traditions and holidays are holy things that we wait on that we patiently look forward to and we live in this middle world of expectation when the cask is nearly spent we have to make a judgment call the time has come the cask is nearly spent now we will drink deep but we have to wait for that we can't determine on a random wednesday night that it's time to drink deep Traditions are then, or holidays, the holidays described by Hasid here as being typical of beginnings and endings, are like doors that lead into something divine. The beginning and end of a thing are divine points of access. That's what a tradition is. That's what a holiday is. And we can't just carve those doors out of reality when we feel like it, lest we become familiar with God and make him common and treat him with contempt. You might say that traditions are doors to heaven which only unlock on certain occasions. And part of proving our worth to enter those doors is our willingness to patiently wait for them to open. I think that we only discover that these doors have opened in hindsight, by which I mean anyone who has ever tried to create a tradition learns something important about the nature of tradition in the process, namely that traditions are more naturally occurring than they are man-made. We recognize them, we see them, we identify them, we discover traditions, but we don't create them. And I think the reason for this is that traditions typically imply some kind of loss. Holidays typically imply some kind of loss. Even the preparation for Christmas is long, arduous, and terribly expensive. Men like to complain about the length of the Christmas season. Women don't, though. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The kind of people who complain about how early Christmas things go for sale, are usually men. And it's because men participate very little in the preparations for Christmas. It's women who go buy presents for cousins. It's women who go buy presents for godchildren. It's women who are pulling the decorations out of the attic. And so, yes, the Christmas season is long because there's a lot to do. And if you don't do anything in the Christmas season, then of course you complain that it's too long. The more work you put into Christmas, the less you would complain about the length of the Christmas season. Because it's the woman, not the man, who's trying to carve out an hour or two hours to go to the post office to mail the packages off in the middle of December to get those in the mail before the guaranteed arrival date. Traditions and holidays typically imply some loss. They're expensive. Christmas is expensive. Thanksgiving is expensive. Part of the expense of these holidays is not only the gifts and the meals that attend them, but the travel, which is typical of them. We travel frequently for Thanksgiving and Christmas, which means time off from work a decline in productivity. You might notice, though, that when people try to create traditions from scratch, when they try to create traditions from nothing, they never invent traditions that involve some kind of suffering. Most of the traditions that people just invent from scratch are completely pleasant, wholly pleasant things, with no downside, no great expenditure of time, very little expenditure of money which is why they don't last. People don't respect traditions that are invented on the spot because they're not about suffering and no suffering is redeemed. Christmas is the concerned with the redemption of a certain kind of suffering, both in its mystical origins, the slaughter of the innocents, the slaughter of Christ, which his birth looks forward to, But also in all the financial suffering and the time commitment that's required to celebrate it properly. So we can't create traditions. We have to wait for them. And part of waiting for them is preparing for them. We don't just look forward to them. We busy ourselves with work in anticipation of celebration of traditions. And we don't create traditions because no one decides to suffer arbitrarily. Hey, let's suffer for this random thing. For what? But Christmas seems worth suffering for. The birth of Christ seems worth suffering for. The kind of traditions that we invent typically don't require a lot of preparation, which means they're easy to forget about it. You can't forget about Christmas, though. Take your fill when the cask is first opened and when it's nearly spent. But midways be sparing, it's poor saving when you come to the Lees. The middle place, the place where we live most of our lives, is a place of forgetfulness. It's a place of commonness. Most of life is lived in the middle. Beginnings and endings are easier than the middle, even though holidays and traditions, drinking deeply, as Hesiod puts it, even though these things imply suffering, there's always a very set agenda for the suffering which attends a holiday. You have this agenda of things to do. You have this long list of things to do. Christmas will keep you busy. Thanksgiving will keep you busy. Easter will keep you busy if you celebrate it properly. And this is because ceremonies are about something. Ceremonies lift our minds up into this higher realm. Drinking deeply lifts you up into this higher realm. But we're sparing in the middle. And that sparingness is its own kind of suffering. There's not a lot of wine in the middle because the middle is devoted to productivity. The middle is devoted to necessity and you can't drink deeply when you're concerned with necessity. Drinking deeply is a sign of luxury. It's a sign that the work is done. So there's not much wine in the middle, there's not much wine for the daily things and the mundane things. Like I said, the quote's not really about drinking your fill. It's about that long middle portion of life where there's no fill to drink. The middle portion of most things proves to be the most difficult. Think about the long middle portion of a marriage. The middle portion of a marriage is not really about the marriage. When a marriage begins, the relationship is about the relationship. A man who's about to get married is thinking a lot about his relationship with his wife or his fiance. A wedding ceremony itself is about the relationship. And whenever a marriage suffers, the marriage becomes about the relationship again the loss of a child, the loss of a job, are difficulties that prompt husband and wife to think of the marriage itself more. But in those long, middle years of a marriage, between great hardship, between great inaugurating ceremony, the marriage itself kind of disappears. You don't think of the marriage often, You don't think of the marriage as a discrete thing. You kind of get lost in it. And the marriage is about productivity. It's about raising children. It's about sustaining a home, paying bills. And there's no drinking deeply in those periods or in that period because there's work to do. this is a great vexation to men, right? We want to drink deeply when we want to drink deeply. And we don't want to wait till the end. When I was young, 16, 17, I liked to imagine that I was a very romantic person. And then I would have the kind of marriage that someone would want to write a book about. And when I thought of marriage before I married, I thought of this kind of eternal taking of your fill when the cask is first opened. I thought of this kind of eternal holiday. Which is to say, I didn't really think of a productive marriage. I thought of a marriage that would perpetually celebrate itself. But five or six years in, I realized, as most people do, that there's simply too much work to be done in life, too much work to be done in a marriage, too much work to be done in raising children. to have an open cask, a freshly open cask, all the time. I would say I have a happy marriage. But I would also say that I have a common marriage. I have a good enough marriage. I have a marriage wherein both my wife and I are willing to be sparing midways, as Hesiod says. Some of the marriages that look most unappealing to me, some of whom my friends carry on, acquaintances online, some of the marriages that look most unappealing to me are these marriages where they're constantly, man and wife are both constantly talking about the marriage, they're constantly thinking about the marriage, they're constantly talking about the way the man leads and the woman follows, or they're constantly talking about the ways that they complement one another. And I wonder how they ever get anything done. How do you get anything done when you're constantly thinking about the marriage itself? What does the marriage do? It seems mind-boggling that the marriage would ever get around to doing anything. Because man and wife are constantly theorizing about the marriage itself. The cask is always open. It's always the inaugurating holiday of the marriage. There's always some sermon being given, some homily being given on the nature of marriage. As opposed to simply sliding into the thing, getting comfortable, and letting the marriage do its own work. Why is it poor saving when you come to the Lees? Why is it not worth being sparing at the end? Well, for the same reason that Christmas time is not the time for frugality. Holidays are expensive. And if you decide to be sparing when the end comes, you never really understood the middle. a lot of people in this country go terribly in debt around Christmas, not merely because Christmas is expensive, but because they're not willing to live by Hesiod's teaching that you should be sparing midways. And so there's this great vexation when the time for great expenditure comes at the end of the year. The beauty of being sparing midways is the anticipation of drinking deeply when the cask is nearly spent. If you know that you'll drink deeply when the cask is nearly spent, those middle portions are charged with meaning. Those middle portions reach forward into this extravagant and holy future. And thus, if you're sparing midways, it's a kind of spiritual deep drinking that you enjoy at the same time.